Hey, turn your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 2, continuing our verse-by-verse study through the New Testament. I'm going to take some time to kind of give us some context in the message this morning. You've heard me say it repeatedly. If you take a text out of context, all you left is a con. Amen. Just want to make sure we understand who's writing, who he's writing to. And there is going to be some heavy stuff in this morning's text. You know, we teach the whole counsel of God because nothing less than a whole Bible makes a whole Christian. Amen. And we don't skip over the stuff that is difficult to hear sometimes. It's in the Bible for a reason. And this morning is not going to be a seeker-sensitive message, although we don't have a whole lot of those around here anyway. Amen? But let's pray and let's dig into the Word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you. We love you. As we go to your Word right now, we ask that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. Give us ears to hear what your Spirit would say to us. I pray that the truth of your Word would go forth with boldness, but be done in love. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, hey, before I get into the text, we have some special guests here. Most of you guys know that I went to something called Grief Share for 14 weeks at Calvary Chapel Oxnard. It was very helpful to my wife and I. So they're all over here. Just kind of raise your hands. We love you guys. Thank you for being here. All right. So 2 Peter uh, following 1 Peter, the focus of 1 Peter was the persecution of the early church. And so what was taking place in those days, Caesar Nero was reigning. This is the time when Christians were being fed to lions and being imprisoned. And so what happened with the early church is they were scattered. And Peter writes this letter to the early church, many of whom have left their homes behind, left their families behind who didn't know the Lord. And they're having to stay with other believers in other cities and they're fearful for their lives. And so Peter writes the first Peter to those people being persecuted and he's encouraging them again that they were, first he tells them they're just pilgrims. This is not your home. You know, isn't it good to know that this is not our home? Heaven is better, amen? We're going to close our eyes on earth. We're going to open them in glory. He also encouraged them that your faith is more precious than gold. Tested by fire may be found to the praise and glory and honor of the Lord. You've heard me say many times, a faith that hasn't been tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. And it's a testing of our faith that grows us. So even though persecution is difficult, it's an opportunity for us to grow. He also reminded them that they were not redeemed with corrupt things like silver and gold, but through the precious blood of Jesus Christ. He exhorted them to love one another fervently, to remain steadfast in the word. The Bible says that grass withers and flowers will fade away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Amen? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by... Guys, if you want your faith to grow, it's really simple. Spend more time in the word. And he's exhorting these people facing great persecution. A lot of times when you're persecuted, you want to blame God, or you want to run from God, or you want to question God. And what he was saying is press in to the Lord. He reminds them that they were a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. Isn't it amazing that you're one of God's kids if you've been born again? Isn't it good to know that you're a new creation in Christ? He's written your name in the Lamb's book of life. He will never leave you nor forsake you. And he has no eraser on that pencil. Amen? You're going to be in there. So praise God for that. And we should know in the midst of persecution that our God is faithful and we are his own special people. He exhorted them to live before the very world that seeks to destroy them to live a holy life in front of them. When the world, we shouldn't be surprised when people who don't know God act like they don't know God, amen? But we should be surprised when believers fall into the trap of mimicking the world. He told them to abstain from fleshly lust, to have conduct that is honorable in the eyes of the Lord, to honor all people, to love the brethren, to fear God, and to honor the king. He then told them, told wives to submit to their own husbands and husbands to dwell with their wives with understanding. Can you imagine if you took your wife or your husband and you left your entire, your home behind, your family behind, your possessions behind, and now you're running for your life and you're living in a spare room of another believer in a faraway land, that could cause some pressure on a marriage, amen? And he's encouraging them in the midst of that to dwell with each other with understanding. He encouraged them that the suffering that they were enduring was for but a little while. You've heard me say that a lot lately. The suffering in this life is for but a little while. 
Even if it's something that will last the rest of this life, it's nothing compared to eternity. Amen? Most of you guys know that along with my, in the last year, my mom went to heaven, then my son, and then two weeks ago, my brother. Totally unexpected. Here's the good news. The separation from them will only last for a little while. And then we're all going to be together again in heaven. Amen? And so he's encouraging them in the midst of persecution to keep their eyes on the Lord. Christ suffered for us. He said, arm yourself with the same minds. Be hospitable and do it without complaining. See, he's also writing to the early church where people are running into their town. Can you imagine if Christians were running from a nearby land and they came to your house with no place to live? Would you welcome them in? And that's what he's encouraging these first century Christians to do. He also said, if you're reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you. If you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but glorify God. He told the elders to shepherd the the flock with a willing heart and younger people to submit those in authority over them. The Bible tells us that God gives grace to the humble, but resists the proud. See, these are all things that Peter, by the way, as we come to 2 Peter, is on his last days. He's in prison. He's about to be put to death. So the words he's delivering have an even heavier weight. Someone called you around their deathbed and said, I have one more thing I want to tell you. How important do you think that would be? He also encouraged them to be sober and be vigilant for your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And again, but the God of all grace who has called us to eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a little while, again, the good news is that he will establish you and settle you. Now, if you were here the last two weeks in 2 Peter, we go from persecution from the outside, and there's still some of that in 2 Peter, but the focus now is corruption on the inside. See, if Satan can't attack us from the outside, the Bible says he's a roaring lion seeking we may devour. The other thing he will do is he will bring wolves in amongst the sheep. He will bring false prophets and false teachers in amongst God's people to draw them away to another gospel. By the way, there are no other gospels. Amen? And that's where we'll see that in this morning's text. So in the last couple of weeks, we first saw seven characteristics of maturing faith. If you go to our website, the messages are there. But these bear repeating. These are characteristics of a faith that's, that's maturing. Virtue, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. And that word there for love is agape love, a selfless love. Then he talked about three evidences for spiritual growth, fruitfulness, vision, and security. And then if you were here last week, we talked about the more sure word of prophecy. How do we know? There's a lot of religious books out there, right? How do we know that the Bible is true? And we talked about this last week. And again, if you weren't here, you can go to our website. And we talked about the the more sure word of prophecy. There's over 300 prophecies about the Messiah. And Jesus fulfilled them all. Amen? Everybody else who's claimed to be a prophet fulfills no prophecy, And by the way, none of them were born of a virgin, none of them uh, died on a cross, and none of them rose from the dead. Amen? So we don't serve a dead prophet. We serve a risen and living Savior who has triumphed over sin and death. Amen? The Bible is 66 books written by 40 authors on three continents and three languages over 1,500 years with one central theme and no contradictions. And how is that possible? Because God wrote it. Amen? So I encourage you, he encouraged them that we have the sure word of prophecy. Archaeologically, the Bible has been proven true. Historically, the Bible has been proven true. And you know what? Nothing proves it more than the prophecy in an empty tomb. Amen? So that brings us to this morning's text. And now he's really going to focus on the inward corruption that was creeping into the local church. So they were meeting in homes at this point. And you could have somebody show up to your Bible study or your church service in a home, and they have an ulterior motive. And one of Satan's tactics has always been to appear as an angel of light, to have something that sounds pretty good, but really draws us away from the truth of the gospel. I would say this, it's more dangerous to the church than outward persecution is inward corruption. I think our persecution, again, we identify it, we recognize it for what it is, and it's an opportunity for us to grow. 
When inward corruption comes in, many people can be fooled. This is why you need to know what the Bible says. You know how you overcome and how you don't fall for a lie? You know the truth. Amen? And when we know the truth, we won't fall for the lie. Farther, far worse than having our faith tested on the outside is having our faith tainted from the inside. Outward persecution has caused many professing Christians to buckle under its weight, but even more destructive is professing believers being swayed by, from the truth by false teachers from the outside. So at this time, they're being fed to lions. They're being burned alive. They're being imprisoned and tortured. That's still true today all over the world. Do you know there's more martyrs this last year than there have ever been in the history of the world for Christianity? Because there's more Christians, and there's more places where they're suffering for the cause of Christ. See, it's often in the midst of great persecution that revival comes. We've talked about this. I don't believe COVID uh, changed the church. I think it revealed the church. Because in the midst of COVID, those who love the Lord are not going to be afraid to gather together. Guys, if we can go to the grocery store, we can go to church. Can I get an amen to that? So the reality is here that in the midst of persecution, it is an opportunity for us to grow. Inward corruption is far worse. Persecution is obvious. Corruption is devious. They're wolves in sheep clothes. They look good. They sound good. They use Christianese. They know the right things to say. But as we will see this morning, it's nothing short than the doctrine of the devil. Amen? I'm going to be direct this morning. I know that shocks all of you, but we're looking at some heavy-duty stuff, okay? It makes it clear that the deceptive words and depraved actions of these false teachers is far more than just harmless fun or an avenue of free speech, but it is indeed the doctrine of the devil. What does the devil do? He seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to take you to hell with him. He knows he's a defeated foe. And so what does he do? He's got many plans, outward persecution, but also inward corruption. False teachers are not just misunderstood intellectuals, but they're tools of Satan. They undermine the truth. They draw men away from God and unto themselves. They deceive the people to feed and justify their depraved behavior. And again, it's not something we should laugh off, but demonic deception that God will judge. So grab your outline if you have it. I want to talk about what we're going to look at this morning. And one of the many things we'll see in these false teachers, there's so many things that they will do and so many things are still taking place today. You know, one of the things that, we're, here's where the attack comes, is it's coming right now heavily. It's on the book of Genesis. See, the book of Genesis is the foundation of the whole Bible, amen? You've heard me say, if you don't have a problem with the first four words, you won't have a problem with the rest of them. In the beginning, God, amen? So the first attack was on creation and on, does God even exist? And it's amazing to me that atheists are so, are so adamant about arguing about God not existing. And if God didn't exist, why do they even care? I don't believe in the Easter bunny and I don't have to argue about it because I know it's not true. Amen? But the reality is it's amazing how fired up they get and want to prove their point. And that's only because the cross of Christ is the stone of offense or the rock of offense that offends people. So not only is the existence of God under attack in Genesis, but then that we were created male and female. Two genders. Amen? Two. Did you ever think in your wildest dreams that you would live in a time when people can't even understand that boys are boys and girls are girls and they can't change their mind? Amen? But it's under attack. It's in the book of Genesis that God made us male and female. Marriage is under attack. God's the one who created marriage. And now everybody, now I don't understand why people who don't believe in God want to be in the religious institution that was created by God. He created marriage. He defines marriage. It's under attack by the enemy. All these things are true. And then finally, creation is under attack as well. By the way, it did not go from the goo to the zoo to you, amen, that God created you in his image. He, cre he, he is the almighty, all-knowing, all-powerful creator of all things. And so the enemy wants to attack in areas. I want to say this, while, while faith helps us stand in the midst of persecution, it is truth that keeps us from falling for the doctrine of the devil. There's a reason why every Sunday we teach verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book through the whole counsel of God. On Thursday nights we do the same because again, we need to know what the word of God says. We need to know the truth so we don't fall for a lie. Amen? 
We're living in a time that it's more popular to be politically correct than biblically accurate. And that's not just true in the world, it's even true in some churches. Amen? I watched some videos this week. I'm going to get into them when I get into the text. We're going to do that now. But where pastors were asked, do you believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven? And they go, oh, well, you know, he's the way for me. Dude, that's wimpy. Amen? Did you go to Sunday school? Because in Sunday school, there's a song that I love, right? And it's, well, there's a lot of songs that I love. Sunday school rocks. Can I get an amen to that? But I love the song that talks about Jesus is the only way. One way God said to get to heaven, and Jesus is the only way. No other way. No other way. No other way to go. Amen. One way God said to get to heaven and Jesus is the only way. Five-year-olds understand that, and there's pastors who don't. Lord, help us. Amen? And that's why we need to teach the whole counsel of God. And, that, and you know why they don't want to speak up? Because they're afraid they might offend somebody, and the size of the crowd they're entertaining might go down. We're not called to entertain crowds, but to make disciples. Amen? And that's what we want to do. So grab your outline. We'll go through it, and we'll dig into the text. I titled the message, The Righteous Judgment of a Loving God. The first thing we're going to see are 11 attributes of false prophets and false teachers. Now, not all of them apply to every false prophet or false teachers, but some of them do with all false prophets and all false teachers. We'll go through those one at a time. And then we'll see three examples of God's righteous judgment upon wickedness. So our God is a God of love and grace and mercy, and he desires that none should perish, no, not one. But at the same time, he is also a righteous God. Amen? And because he's a righteous God, he must judge sin. So let's begin there in verse 1 of 2 Peter chapter 2. We're going to look at 11 attributes of false prophets and false teachers. It says, but there were also false prophets among the people. Notice he says, but, so we have to go back to the previous verses. Whenever you see therefore in the Bible, or you see but in the Bible, you want to go back to what he's contrasting it with. So verses uh, 20 and 21 of 2 Peter chapter 1 say this, knowing this first, that no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy came by the, not by the will, prophecy came by the will of man, but holy men, it never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. What's interesting is most false prophets had some divine appointment with God all by themselves. Well, they need to read this verse right here because it says that no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation. Joseph Smith, who was a fairy tale writer, went out into the woods, said he met an angel who gave him the Book of Mormon, and that he wrote it all down, and the angel was gone, and the plates that he said he was given he couldn't find, and he had special glasses on so he could read it. What's amazing is he had written a book about having special glasses and being able to read something years before in a fairy tale, so he just decided to write another fairy tale, and it's called the Book of Mormon. Amen. Whenever someone has a private interpretation, I found something in the Bible that no one else has ever seen. Guys, if it's new, it's not true. And if it's true, it's not new. Amen? And he's telling them, so in the midst of this, there, there is no private interpretation. The Holy Spirit moves. The Word of God fits perfectly together. Then he says, verse 1, but there were also false prophets among the people. In direct contrast to the false prophets, so we're either speaking the oracles of God, the word of God, proclaiming the truth of God, or we are false prophets. There's a reason why I want you to bring your Bible to church. We'll give, we give them out. If you don't have a Bible, we'll give you one. Please take it home. You need to open up that book and make sure I'm not here make, up here making this stuff up. Amen? And by the way, if you want to open your Bible on Sunday, you're not going to open it during the rest of the week. So we want to be in the word of God. We want to know what the word of God teaches. So these holy men of God have the word of God by the spirit of God and the false prophets proclaiming something other than the word of God. It says false prophets among the people, even as they, as there will be false prophets among you. Notice where the false prophets are. They're among the people. They're not out in the woods or hundreds of miles away, but right there, as the early church gathered, there were false teachers already there. Now, the Bible tells us that Satan appears as an angel of light. 
He doesn't show up at your house with a pitchfork in his hand and horns growing out of his head and say, come follow me to hell. Not very many people would go for that. So what he does instead is he uses Christianese and he, you know, they, they use words that are familiar to us and they make, they try to dissuade you and to turn you away and to deceive you to a false gospel. If you talk to a Mormon, I love to talk to them when they come to my door. I think they don't come as often anymore, but when they did, and when some came recently that they'll say, well, we're Christians. I said, no, you're not. Yes, we are. No, you're not. Well, we believe in the heavenly father. And we believe that Jesus died on the cross. And we believe that he rose from the dead. That all sounds good, doesn't it? But you know what they also believe? They believe that the Father, our Heavenly Father was a man on another planet who was so good he got to be God of our planet. Is that in the Bible? They also believe that Jesus and Satan are brothers. Is that in our Bible? They believe that good works and the reason that, that because if we're good men on this planet, it's a very man-centered gospel, if we're good men on this planet, then we too can be God of our own planet, and that's why we need multiple wives, because they're going with us to populate the entire planet, and they'll all be worshiping us. Boy, it sounds like a lot of men would sign up for that program. <laughs> but here's what all the cults do. They make man more, and they make Jesus less. Because they don't make Jesus, they don't say Jesus is the only true and living God. He's one of many. Guys, there's only one and true and living God. One way God said to get to heaven, and Jesus is the only way. So they, they come in amongst the people, and these false teachers are among you. Inward false teachers trying to draw them away from the truth. And Peter is warning the early church, and we need to be warned as well. False teachers. They can be empowered by a spirit. It's just not the Holy Spirit. Amen? It's the enemy who wants to deceive you. If Satan can't get us to succumb to our persecution, he will do all he can to draw us away from the truth of God's word to a counterfeit gospel. Now, let me just say this. Do we love the Mormons? What's the answer? Of course we do. We love them. My heart breaks for them. It is so tragic that they're buying the lie of a false teacher. I have, I most of you know I have a full-time job. I have about 200 accounts and I have a couple of Mormon guys. I have a couple of Jehovah's Witnesses and I have several Muslims and they all know I'm a Christian pastor. We have some very uh, nice discussions. <laughs> and the one Mormon guy is like, aren't you just happy for us that, you know, and when the Mormons come to your door, you should just give them a meal and send them on their way. I'm like, I'm, they're on their way to hell, bro. And he's like, well, you can, how dare you say that? I said, bro, you put your faith in a fairy tale writer. I put my faith into the creator of the universe. Amen? And because I love you, I'm going to keep talking to you, but I love you, bro, and I'm praying for you. And the sad part is that the enemy has duped you. Amen? And we need to love, and people say, well, I, I just don't like to have those conversations. Well, you know what? We need to love people enough to have an uncomfortable conversation that might keep them from spending eternity in hell. Amen? It's not easy, but it's something that we're called to do. Peter speaks with boldness, and he loves them enough to speak the truth. Attribute number one of false teachers, they've always been around. They've always been part of Satan's plan from the beginning. It's nothing new under the sun. And they're wolves in sheep's clothing. Like I said, they dress nice. They've got the Christianese, right? They speak the same language in a way, but what they mean by that language is different than what the Word of God teaches. So whenever, wherever the Holy Spirit is moving, get ready for the enemy to send counterfeits. When God is doing a good work, those will come to draw people away to their own belief. The second thing we will see, again, they are moving in and among God's people. So they've always been here, and they're in and among God's people. By the way, if you're here and you're a wolf, we're going to find you. We'll find you. Your sin will surely find you out. If you're here and you've got a motive to draw people away to something other than the way, the truth, and the life, and who Jesus Christ is, we'll figure you out. We'll, we'll, we'll do everything we can to see you get saved. But if you're going to continue to preach a false gospel or draw people away, we will happily escort you out of the building. Amen. Well, this is side of Pastor Dave I haven't seen before. What's that about? <laughs> I keep lifting weights for a reason. Amen. But there are people that will identify themselves as Christians and they have an ulterior motive. And when we dig deeper, we find out that that's not the case. 
Number three, they work secretly on the fringes of the church. Look what it says there. It says, they will come among you. They will secretly bring in deceptive heresies. So they bring in deceptive heresies. They come in secretly. Now, this hasn't happened here a lot, but it has happened here some. But the church in Santa Cruz that I pastored got very large, and it happened a lot. And people would show up and they would volunteer to get involved in ministry or they'd be leading a table group in the men's study. And before you know it, they're trying to draw people away to another gospel. And I find it interesting that they come to Christians and want to draw Christians away because that's exactly what the enemy wants to do. They don't announce themselves as wolves. They come in and seek to draw people away from the truth. And they tend to look for like new believers. We had a new believers class that my dad taught before he went to heaven. And we really had to vet who was in there because we have a lot of new people in there. And you'd have people invite people over for dinner and then they want to draw them away to another gospel. Guys, that's not a danger for me or for you if you know the truth well enough. Amen? You're not going to be deceived by the enemy. Number four there, it says they bring in deceptive heresies. What is heresy? It means to capture or to choose. It's a dissension that arises due to varying opinions, bringing division within the body. A heretic is one who does not believe the essentials of the Christian faith. If you do not believe that Jesus Christ is God, you're not a Christian. Amen? If you do not believe that he was born of a virgin, you're not a Christian. If you do not believe that his death on the cross paid for our sins, you're not a Christian. If you do not believe that he rose from the dead on the third day, you're not a Christian. I've had Christians tell me, well, the virgin birth isn't that big of a deal. I don't really believe in that. I go, bro, you need to get saved. Because without the virgin birth, Jesus would be born a sinner. And Jesus was not born a sinner. Amen? He who knew no sin became sin for us. And so these false teachers come in and, and I, like I said, they're going to appear as angels of light. They reject the deity of Christ or the redeeming work of the cross or the resurrection or the inerrancy of scripture. I love when people will say to me, well, the Bible says this, or the Bible nowhere says this. And then you show it to them. Or when they say, well, the Bible says this, I say, show me the verse. And they never can. They're always parroting something they heard from somebody else. And I love when people who've never read the Bible claim to be authorities on a book they've never read and they don't believe it. Amen? So we want to know what the Word says so we can stand up for the truth. Heretics are those who teach contrary to the essentials of the Christian faith, and they seek to divide the church. A heretic is doing the work of the devil. We have one church, one gospel, one God, one Savior. Amen? The Bible tells us, narrow is the path that leads to salvation, but broad is the road that leads to destruction. False teachers coming to draw even the elect away, the Bible says. We are to love everyone. Amen? Amen. What's my six-word philosophy of ministry? It's preach the word, love the people. Amen? I want you to be the best fed and most loved people around. That's my heart. But we as believers should love everyone. Because we're just one beggar leading another beggar to the bread. Amen? And we don't look at other people's sin. And, and aren't you glad that there's, you can't sin so much that you can't be saved. And you can't be so good that you don't need to be saved. Amen? We all need Jesus. He is the answer for all of us. But at the same time, we don't want to be so puckered up by political correctness that we're afraid to call sin what it is. Amen? We're living in a time where we're changing words so that things like sin are not so, uh, you know, pointed out. Look what it says there. Even denying the Lord who bought them. They deny the truths of who Jesus is and all that he has done. Heresy is not disagreeing on a secondary issue. That's a, that's a disagreement. You know, we have brothers and sisters in Christ who may view the end times different than we do. Well, that's a secondary issue. That's not a salvation issue. And so we agree to disagree on that. We have some that may disagree on the music that we play, or they may disagree with the way we dress, or we meet in a tent, right? Whatever. And the reality is that those are secondary issues. And those are, are not questions of heresy. Heresy is something, again, that takes away from the essentials of the Christian faith. They deny who Jesus is. Well, there's a big group that denies who Jesus is. They're called the Jehovah's Witnesses. Oh, Pastor Dave's calling out names today. The Jehovah's Witnesses. 
The Jehovah's, you know why they call themselves Jehovah's Witnesses? Because they reject Jesus. And I have a guy that calls me about every two weeks on the church phone and gives me a different name every time. I recognize his voice. I'm not stupid. And he says, oh, are you one of the pastors there? I was reading online and I got some questions about the Bible. And I'm like, bro, you're the JW who wants to talk to me about how Jesus Christ isn't the creator of the universe, that Jesus Christ isn't God, that Jesus Christ didn't die on the cross, that he died on a stake and all this other stuff that they've created. And I said, how many times does a false prophet need to be wrong to be a false prophet? Once. And I said, you guys have predicted the end of the world 11 times. You've been wrong 11 times. You write a, you got a thing that you write out of Brooklyn that is a magazine that you say is equivalent to the word of God. You guys are false prophets. You need to repent. Jesus is the answer. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And you can keep calling me as much as you want, but my response is never going to change. Amen. But they deny the person of Jesus Christ. It's right here in the Bible. It's right here in second Peter talking about false prophets. They deny the very Lord that brought themselves, and again, will, and will bring on themselves. It says in the verse, will bring on themselves swift destruction. You know what? Our Savior desires that none should perish, no, not one. He wants all of us to go to heaven. Amen? He loves you so much, he'd rather die than live without you, and he proved it on the cross of Calvary. That being said, while he died and suffered and paid the price for all mankind. Salvation is offered universally, but it must be accepted individually. He will never force salvation on anyone. He asks us to be his bride on the cross of Calvary. He proposes to us in a sense, will you be my bride? You know, will you give your life to me? He wants us to be a, a part of his bride. And so he, it's offered universally, but must be accepted individually. And so he desires that none should perish, no, not one. And he loves us all. But that being said, most people have and will reject him. And most people won't go to heaven. And that breaks my heart. Amen? And it breaks our Savior's heart even more. Here's the reality. God cannot have sin in his presence, and there can be no sin in heaven or we'd have earth part two. Amen? How many sins in the garden brought destruction to this planet? One. And so God can't have sin in presence. How many sinners we got in the room? If your hands not up, you're a liar on top of everything else. But here's the reality. We're all sinners in desperate need of a savior. God can't have one sin in heaven or we have earth part two. So we've got a problem. Here's the good news. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And he who knew no sin took our sin upon himself and he suffered and died in our place that we might have eternal life. That's our God. Amen. And then there's those who come along and they put, and again, as you heard me say, the the cults always make Jesus less and man more. They elevate men and they bring Jesus down. If you deny any of the essential doctrines of who Jesus is, you are not a Christian. And again, as I said, as of late, it's so tragic to see to me how many churches are more worried about being politically correct. They will not call sin, sin. They just won't do it. Here's the big thing. We're open and affirming. You ever heard of that about a church? We're open and affirming. You know what that means? We're open to you coming and we will affirm your sinful behavior and make you feel good about it. And we are not going to call you to repentance and we are not going to call your behavior sinful because we just want to love. And they, and they couch it as compassion. We're opening and affirming, which means we're compassionate. You know what's, you know what's the least compassionate thing you can do is Love on somebody in their sin, say that it's okay to keep sinning and not care about the fact that it's going to take them to hell if they don't get right with Jesus. Amen? We don't want to be open and affirming. We want to be faithful. We want to preach the truth with boldness. We want to, uh, again, deliver the whole counsel of God and not water down the message. You've heard me say this many times. I love everyone in this room, and you know that. I'm so, I'm, I, would I wouldn't want to be anywhere else in the world than where I am right now. I, I'm so blessed to be able to serve you precious people. That being said, when I prepare a message, I'm never really all that worried about what you think. You know why? Because I'm going to stand before him. Amen? And, you know, feelings are not what it's about. What I think, what I feel, what I just feel. I don't care. What does the Bible say? Amen? Okay. Now, notice what it says there, and bring on themselves swift destruction is point number six there. They deny who Jesus is and they bring upon themselves. Sin has consequences. Again, our God is a God of love, 
But righteous judgment is not the opposite of love. Jesus, again, loves you so much, he'd rather die than live without you, but you must respond. So what should we do about false teachers? What should we do about them? Well, first of all, let me say this. We should pray for them. Amen? Amen. We should pray that God will open their eyes. We should pray that they'll be saved. But we also should pray that they can no longer spread their false gospel anymore. Amen? So we want to love them. We want to pray for them. But we need to stand up against them and proclaim the truth. See, the enemy wins when we start being as politically correct as the false prophets are, and we start worrying more about people's feelings, and, and you know, well, that's offensive to say there's two genders, Pastor. I don't like that. I'm offended. Well, you should be offended. <laughs> amen? If the Bible offends you, if it steps on your toes, you're standing in the wrong place, amen? And the reality is that we want to love people enough to not not encourage this mass perversion that's taking place in our world today. Amen? Parents who are supporting nine-year-olds to take drugs to transgender are committing uh, a, a crime as far as I'm concerned. Amen? It's child abuse. But even as Christians, oh, well, you know, if that's how they feel. My feelings lie to me all the time. How about yours? The word of God is true. I came to visit this church for the first time. I had no idea what was coming. <laughs> Verse 2. Hey, it was the next chapter. That's what happens. When you teach verse by verse, you don't skip over the tough stuff. Amen? Verse 2. And many will follow their destructive ways because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. False te- teachers, uh, we will see that they do draw large crowds often. Many who preach... The truth draw large crowds as well, but not all drawing large crowds are preaching the truth, often a man-centered gospel. There are 17 million Mormons today. We want to pray for them and love them. Amen? There are 8.7 million Jehovah's Witnesses. There are 2 billion Muslims. There are 506 million Buddhists. So somebody followed the teaching of Muhammad. Some of them followed the the wandering mind of Buddha. Some of them listened to Charles Taze Russell, who was the founder of the Jehovah's Witnesses. And some believed a 15-year-old kid, fairy tale writer by the name of Joseph Smith. And see, here's the problem. Those guys are all false prophets or false teachers. Amen? You know why they're false? Do you know that you read what they said at the end of their lives? You know what Buddha said in his life? I, I don't even know the, the future. Muhammad said he didn't know if there was a heaven or a hell. Well, he does now. Amen? We don't rejoice in that. Amen? But, we, but the sad part is people are believing the lie. The Bible says in 2 Timothy, for time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. So a lot of these, you see some things on Christian television, and it's, it's on television, and I don't think it's really Christian. Amen? But what they have is they have these huge, massive crowds, and it's all about giving, and it's all about getting rich, and it's all about, you know, and and your best life now. By the way, my best life isn't now, it's in heaven. Amen? And, And, you know, I don't need 40 days of purpose. I need 365 days of following Jesus. Amen? I don't need, again, so often what's happening is there's a watering down of the gospel, telling people every week how amazing they are, blowing smoke on them, making feel good about them in their own sin, and it's tragic because it's what the enemy does. It says in number, number eight there, not, not only do they draw large crowds, but they are popular because they don't condemn sin or they elevate man. So if you don't condemn sin and people can come to your church and feel comfortable in their sin, then there's a problem. Now, how many of us sinned this week? Me too, okay? So as a believer, when you gave your life to Jesus, the Holy Spirit went from being with you to being in you. And what does the Holy Spirit do? He comforts you, but he also convicts you. Thank you, Lord. Amen? So one of the reasons you know you're saved is when you sin, you feel convicted. And if you sin and you don't feel convicted, if there's no conviction, there's been no conversion. Amen? So it's good that when we sin, you know, the Holy Spirit head slap, I told you, right? That's, that's a conviction for me. You know, there it is, right? And, and when that happens, it's God's way of, of, because he loves me, those who the Lord loves, he disciplines, amen? And he draws us back into a right relationship with him. 
But see, if you don't know the Lord, you'll be happy in your sin. And if people tell you that your sin is okay, and we're open and, open and affirming of your sin, and you can come here and think you're going to heaven, and we'll never challenge that, because we just want to draw a crowd. Because we just want to fill the coffers. We just want to fly around in our Lear jets, or whatever it might be, right? And there's this motivation that has nothing to do. See, you heard me say that Christians don't stab each other in the back, they stab each other in the front. Amen? And what I mean by that is we love each other enough to confront each other. Hey, bro, I love you, but I've seen this going on in your life, man. Matthew 18, don't gossip about it. But love each other enough to tell each other the truth. They're popular because they don't condemn sin. You know what they raise? Consumers, not disciples. People call our church all the time. So tell me about your church. What kind of worship do you have? The kind that honors Jesus. That's the kind of worship we have. Amen? Well, you have a full band. You got a choir. We just worship in Jesus. Amen? Well, tell me about the programs you've got. You know, we're kind of shopping around to find something that'll give us all we need. Do you know you need to look for a church that doesn't cater to your needs, but a church where you can go and serve? Amen? where you can go and be fed the word of God, but also use your gifts to minister to others. Guys, we're not called to to raise up consumers, but to make disciples. We don't want a man-centered gospel or a prosperity doctrine. We want the simple truth of God's word. The word destructive there in verse two, it's speaking of sexually immoral or perverse ways. It was popular because they wouldn't condemn their sin. And they, the Bible says we cannot serve two masters. You can't serve God in your flesh. Here's what I, I say often. You've heard me say it if you've been coming here. Rebellion or fellowship, choose one. Amen? You can't walk in open rebellion against God and be in intimate fellowship with God at the same time. You cannot live a lifestyle that is openly condemned by the word of God and just walk in it and think it's okay and still have fellowship with the Lord. You can't do that. And we have to choose one. You cannot serve two masters. It's destructive because they give people a false sense of salvation. They entertain them, they feed their flesh, and tell them what they want to hear. Here's what's most condemning to me. I have coworkers who who are not saved, who want nothing to do with God, and there's people on TV that they love to listen to because it makes them feel good. If sinners feel good at the end of your message, you're not teaching the Bible. Amen? Because the word of God should convict us. They're driving off a cliff. They're going to know eternal separation from God. And the word of God reaches out to do everything to draw those people unto the Lord. Again, if there's been no conviction, there's no conversion. He says, but he says at the end of verse 2, but because of whom the way of the truth will be blasphemed. People who don't know the Lord equate all people who claim to be Christians as Christians. And so if anybody who claims to be a Christian does something wrong, they put that in the camp of all believers. When I used to work in San Jose, uh, there was a, a bar across the street from my office. I'd never been in there, but people would come and tell me that there's this really well-known pastor that was in there uh, a couple afternoons a week, and they'd go over there for lunch, and he'd be drunk with four or five women hanging all over him, and he's kissing on these women, and he's on TV every week. And they would come back and say, hey, saw your buddy over there. Not my buddy. Amen. (laughs) Well, he's a pastor. You're a pastor. So, and that's the thing. The point is that false teachers, what do they do? It says they cause the way of the truth to be blasphemed because they're hypocrites, because they don't walk the walk. And because they are false teachers, whether they're hungry for money or, or they're sleeping with women or they're caught up in whatever disaster they're caught up in, in the midst of all of that, the cause of Christ is harmed by these false prophets. Now, that's why we need to stand and know the truth. By the way, don't follow men, follow the Lord. Amen? If, you, if your pastor falling causes you to lose your faith, you are following the wrong person. Amen? Put your faith in Jesus alone. It says there in number nine, they cause unbelievers to look at Christianity with contempt. False teachers bring contempt on the church, and their false doctrine and ungodly behavior causes unbelievers to look at Christianity as a joke. The world doesn't distinguish between true believers and false Christians. Verse three, by covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words. 
They will tell you what you, they, here's what, it's, this is what this means. Pastor Dave, paraphrase. They will tell you what you want to hear to get your money. You got to give a seed. You got to plant your seed. You got to plant your seed. Plant your seed. Go out in your driveway and say, Cadillac, Cadillac, Cadillac. Just profess it. Just profess it. Make, manifest it with your words. Nonsense, nonsense, nonsense. Amen. And I love how they want to seed off. By the way, in the Bible, seed is always the word of God. It's never money. Doesn't stop them because it works. They'll put somebody on, plant your seed. By the way, always plant your seed in their garden. Have you ever noticed how that works? You're always sending them a $1,000 seed offering. If that works, why don't you send all of us a thousand to see how that works for you? That's not what's going to happen. But they're false prophets. And what are they doing? They're fleecing people. And they're by covetousness. Here's what we do. God is not a holy Santa Claus in the sky. Amen? Amen? We don't make demands of God, and we don't tell God what he needs to do. God tells us what we need to do. Amen? And we come before him. We don't give him a list of things. I need to do this. I need a new car. Again, will God provide? What's the answer? But just follow him. He's our heavenly father. They'll tell you what you want to hear to get your money. We'll feed and play on fleshly desires and your desire to be rich for worldly success, for health, wealth, and prosperity. You know, people will think, well, I gave my life to Jesus. Now I'll never suffer again. Well, that's just not true. Everybody in the Bible used mildly suffered greatly. It says, for a long time, their judgment has not been idle and their destruction does not slumber. It may seem like they're getting away with it, but God is not slack when it comes to righteous judgment. In the end, they will not escape the righteous judgment of God. They may lie, they may deceive, they may get people's money, they may be heretics, they may be teaching false doctrines, they may be, have a big crowd following them, but in the end, they will answer to Almighty God. And so here's what we do. We pray for them, we don't follow them. Amen? We pray for them, we don't follow them. Let's finish up looking at the second part here. We'll go through this quickly. Three examples of God's righteous judgment upon wickedness. Look at verse four. For God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment. Wow, that's a secret sensitive verse, isn't it? Here's what it says about the angels. He did not spare the angels who sinned. What angels sinned? Who was it? Lucifer led the way. And he wanted to, and here's what I believe. I believe Lucifer was caught up in his own gifting. Because the Bible talks about Lucifer being the most beautiful of all the angels. Most people believe he was the worship leader in heaven. And he was so caught up with how beautiful he was and how gifted he was that he thought he was more than he really was. And he wanted to take over, that, take over the heavens. He wanted to usurp the authority of almighty God. Now, by the way, if you have any gifts, it's only because God gave them to you and you should never glory in them. You give him the glory for them. Amen. Amen? So if you're gifted, it's in spite of you, not because of you. The Bible says he uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. So if God's using you, foolish thing. Amen? And so he's saying here that, that the angels in heaven got puffed up. And a third of them aligned with Lucifer and they were cast out of heaven. What do we call them now? Demons. And do you know they still seek to kill, steal, and destroy? Do you know we still fight a spiritual battle? Here's the good news. The battle belongs to the Lord and greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And we don't need to fear the enemy. Let's just give him to the Lord and he'll take care of him. Amen? You keep your eyes on Jesus and focus on the Lord. So the fallen angels were delivered into chains of darkness and reserved. Hell, in one sentence, hell, chains, darkness, judgment. All in one sentence. Guys, we need to warn people the judgment we all deserve rather than let them face it for eternity. How many of you guys know that you deserve hell? I do. Amen? So it's God's grace and God's mercy that I'm not going. And if you've given your life to the Lord, that you're not going. And we give him the praise and the glory and the honor. We take no credit for any of it. Amen? And thank you, Lord. Point number two here, verse five. The ancient days. So the, thing, the reason that the angels fell was due to pride and envy. They were prideful. They thought more of themselves than they should have. And they envied Almighty God. The ancient days, 
They're, they're going to fall due to rampant uh, sexual immorality, uncontrolled violence, and ungodliness. Look at verse 5. And did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly. In the days of Noah, Noah preached the gospel for 120 years while building a boat when it never rained. That's my boy Noah, amen? Can you imagine building a boat for 120 years, being mocked by all your neighbors for 120 years and telling them water's gonna fall from the sky when it never had? And being like us telling the people monkeys were gonna fall from the sky. They think you're crazy. And what did he do? He preached the gospel. And by the way, most people believe in the days of Noah, there were as many as 2 billion people on the planet. It wasn't 100 people. It was definitely millions and, and pro probably hundreds of millions. Now, what's crazy about that, how many of those millions got saved? Eight. It says right in the chapter. Eight. <laughs> Read the book, don't wait for the movie. Amen, it's right there. Praise God for people like Noah who keep sharing the truth, even if no one will listen. Amen. We need to keep sharing the truth. Do it in love. We should be the most loving, kind, and gracious people. Never self-righteous. Again, one beggar leading another beggar to the bread. But we need to love people enough to tell them the truth. Aren't you glad someone loved you enough to tell you the truth? Yes. See, it's that pride, sadly, that kept these people. And they were living lives. Now, what's interesting about this, the Bible tells us the last days will be as the days of Noah. So let me tell you about the days of Noah and see if this sounds familiar. It says that man's thoughts and actions were wicked continually. Their thoughts were only on physical pleasure, and they had rebelled against God. And again, only eight were saved. And you know what tells me? You know what this tells me? When if there's hundreds of millions or even billions of people, or, and only eight got saved, it tells me that God doesn't grade on a curve; He grades at the cross. Well, I'm better than most people. Okay. When we compare ourselves to man, we can look pretty good. Compare yourself to Jesus. How you doing? Amen? Well, you know, I'm no Osama bin Laden. I'm glad you set yourself a high bar there, Sparky, right? <laughs> I'm not Adolf Hitler. Okay, great. But where are you at compared to Jesus? And so, guys, we don't get saved because we're good or we're better than other people. Our salvation can only come by surrendering our lives to Jesus Christ. Amen? He alone is the way. All who reject him are separated from him. All who come to him are saved and will spend eternity with him. See, the ark was a type or a picture of Christ. Salvation was, that door was open. Could anybody have got on the ark? What's the answer? But they chose not to. And when, by the time they were swimming toward it, it was too late. And guys, I pray that we come to know the Lord before it's too late. It says in Genesis 6 that the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great on the earth and every intent and thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. The world in the days of Noah had rapid sexual immorality, unnatural sexual practices, uncontrolled violence, and an absence of right and wrong. Boy, that sounds like the United States of America. Amen? Amen. Finally, last point, verse 6. And turning cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly. Now, see, this is not going to sound politically correct because we've been so drawn up by the world. What was the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah? What was it? Homosexuality. Oh, that's, that, you're a homophobe. I'm not afraid of homosexuals. I love them. Amen. I have coworkers that are homosexuals. I love them. I pray for them. I want to see them saved. Amen? But that doesn't mean we condone their behavior. Amen? Notice it says here that Sodom and Gomorrah was a warning for all who would live that way in the future. And the exact opposite has happened. What is the symbol for homosexuality? What do they use? A rainbow. God flooded the earth because of sin on the world. And they use the rainbow. And they use the term gay. Gay means happy. We'll have a gay old time got a whole new meaning now. Amen. But the reality is that we need to love people enough to call sin, sin, but also to love them and let them know that there's salvation is available to everyone. Amen. Jesus met the woman at the well. She'd been married five times. She was shacking up with a guy. She went out to get 
to get water in the noonday sun because she was getting ridiculed by all the other women because of her loose lifestyle. And what did Jesus say? He didn't condemn. He said, look, ask me, I'll give you living water and you'll never thirst again. And she got saved and went into town and brought the whole town out and brought a revival to her city. The apostles went into town and came out with sandwiches, okay? So the reality is that praise God that this woman who, who had, you know, who has been forgiven much, loves much. Amen? Do you know what the people that read the Bible and are homosexuals say? They say that the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah was a lack of hospitality. Because when Lot came, they wouldn't, they wouldn't invite him into their house. God's not smoking a city because someone didn't let you in their house. See, what people always do is try to, to somehow condone their sinful behavior They'll change the wording behind it. And again, one preacher of righteousness in the midst of a perverse and wicked world, he remained faithful in the midst of it. And again, homosexuality, you know, Sodom and Gomorrah, again, I warned not having young kids in here, but Sodom is where we get the term sodomy from the Bible. Not only righteous judgment upon two cities, but was an example and a warning to all who follow in their footsteps. And again, we love everybody. We hate the sin, but we love the sinner, but we must, we must not condone the sin. Here's also a reality. Every nation that has condoned rampant sexual immorality, including homosexuality, has come to an end. The Romans, the Greeks, go down the list. As soon as they condone that, because it's contrary to the word of God, and it is perversion, and, and even pastors won't speak of it anymore. God, we, we love all people. We want to be witnesses to them. That being said, homosexuality, bisexuality, transgenderism, adultery, fornication are all perversion and sin that reflects a hardened heart toward God. Now, some people will say this, and we'll close with this. Pastor, why, are, why, why does homosexuality get picked on more than any other sin? Now, I want to say this. How many of you have friends or family members that are homosexuals right now? Raise your hand. Every hand in the room. Do we love them? What's the answer? Do we continue to pray for them? What's the answer? Do we want to witness to them and love them and be kind to them? Amen? And you know what? Every single one of them can get saved. Amen? So keep praying. Keep being kind. Keep being loving. Keep reaching out to them. But don't ever condone their behavior as okay. Amen? Nor should you condone the sin in my life as being okay. Amen? We need to make sure we don't do that. We must stand up for the truth and love people enough to warn them of coming judgment. A real friend is not one who condones our sin, but one who loves us enough to speak the truth. And again, you may not struggle with homosexuality, but how about pride and envy of the fallen angels? Anybody besides me struggle with pride sometimes? Okay. So, you know, we can pick on the one sin, but pride and envy. Do any of us struggle with sexual immorality or violence, being violent? Do you get angry easy? Are you a striker, as the Bible would say? So we all have areas that we need to deal with. Now, the good news is, if we've been born again, we have the promise of eternal life. He will continue to convict us and mold us more into the image of his son. So here's the reality. When you gave your life to the Lord, you were justified, just as if you never sinned. And now, from, from now until you get to heaven, you're being sanctified. The word there means being set apart unto the Lord. He's molding you more and more into the image of our Savior. And so you were justified. Now you're being sanctified till the day you're glorified. And that won't happen until we get to heaven. Amen? So in closing, that was, that was kind of heavy stuff, huh? Okay, it's in the Word. It's in the Bible. I'm going to do it in love. Preach the truth. Do it in love. Righteous judgment of a loving God. We saw the 11... Uh, attributes of false prophets. They're always been around. They're moving in amongst God's people. They work secretly on the fringes of the church. They bring in deceptive heresies. They deny the truth of who Jesus is. They bring destruction upon themselves. They draw large crowds. They're popular because they don't condemn sin or they make man more than he is. They cause unbelievers to look at Christianity with contempt. They tell you what you want to hear, and in the end, they will not escape judgment. And then we thought three examples of God's righteous judgment upon wickedness. The fallen angels who fell because of pride and envy. The ancient world who fell, again, because of sexual immorality, uncontrolled violence, and ungodliness. And Sodom and Gomorrah who fell because of the practice of homosexuality. I am so glad that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And I am so thankful that he that knows us best loves us most. He knows every wicked, vile thing you've ever done in your life, and he loves you anyway. What a gracious God we serve. But he's also a righteous God. Amen? 
Lord, we love you. We praise you. You are indeed a great and an awesome God. I know for many of us, this may have been a heavy word to hear. But as Peter was exhorting, as he was not long from leaving this earth and entering heaven, he was exhorting and encouraging the early church not to allow false teachers to come in and draw people away from the simple truth of the gospel. And he pointed out the judgment that comes for those who reject you, those who choose sinful behavior over surrendering their lives to you. We are thankful, Lord, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I pray if there's anybody here this morning that doesn't know you, that today would be the day of salvation. The Bible says, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. If you deny me before men, I will deny you before my Father in heaven. I'm not asking you to join a church, but giving you an opportunity to confess Jesus Christ as your Lord. If that's your desire, just raise your hand where you are, and I will pray with you as you desire to surrender your life to him, to be born again, to know you have the promise of eternal life. If that's your desire, just raise your hand. Anybody at all. Don't leave here without him. Anybody at all. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We worship you. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people say.